The universally hyped Cleveland Browns opened their season yesterday at home. They lost 43 to 13 to Tennessee. Let me repeat that. 43 to 13. Everybody's out there. The Browns are going to the Super Bowl. The Browns are going to be in there with Kansas City and New England for the AFC's best teams. Put the Browns in the garbage with Baker Mayfield's performance. Let me quote Delaney Walker, who had the line of the week in professional sports. They were who we thought they were, which I'm going to parenthetically say was garbage. Second year quarterback, first year head coach. Who the hell do y'all think y'all are? You ain't been in the postseason since 2002. I expected a loss. I didn't expect 43 to 13. I didn't expect three interceptions. But what happened yesterday was the Tennessee Titans, who, by the way, was scooping stuff up in the end zone. You understand what I'm saying? Just messing with them. Because why? They heard all the chirping. They heard all the talking, stealing all the headlines, making all the headlines. All this uh, ain't play a damn game yet. Touchdown, Titans! What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. And note to self, don't get blown out on opening day after being overhyped all offseason, Cleveland Browns. And also, don't die. Welcome in, everybody, to the Weekly Dose for September 11th, 2019. Yes, it is 9-11. My sinuses have been destroying me, so my voice is a little off, but overall, I'm going to be okay. Thank you for finding the show. Coming up today on the supposedly for-profit venture known as the Stone On Air podcast, delivered via your favorite podcasting app, with the idea of it being every Wednesday for a midweek download destination. A little bit different show today, two segments, only two segments, and the show generally runs 55 minutes. I don't know how that happens so frequently that it's right at 54 55 55 and a half to 56 if you just start looking at all of them you know stacked on top of each other they're not planned that way they're not planned that way but i guess any good segment probably uh i guess it depends on who you ask and how you prepare and plan uh audio consumable downloadable uh, content to me every any good segment probably deserves a solid 15 minutes maybe Closer to 20, depending on what's going on. I guess I'm just using the old radio clock uh, with breaks at 20, 35, and 50. Generally speaking, those drastically change from station to station if people want to do it a little differently. But very traditional clock, meaning when the commercial breaks would be, would be 20 after the hour, 35, and 50. And you're going to have a news break at the top, and or at least an extended break of some kind that'll get you in about five after. Then you take that till 20, 21. So it's about 15, 16 minutes. Then you break. Then you then you're back in at like 24, and then you break around 35. So that's another 10, 12 minutes, and then another 10, 12 minutes on that. But that's a traditional radio show, and obviously this is not. All right, let's see. Let's take a look at this. Um, 
So the, the, the second segment of the show today is going to be uh, my just look back at Moon River. Uh, it's not really any different than if you listened last year, even though there was there was a different circumstance for the reason for having the show last year. But there's there were different things about this year's festival. But overall, uh, just the, the early spoiler alert will be, uh, uh, it was good. It was very, very, very good. But there were a few things I didn't like all that much about it. And then I'm just going to hammer on a few things Kind of uh, just bullet point style here, which I'll get to in a second. First, I want to start off. Titans blew out the, uh, the Browns in uh, in Cleveland over the weekend to open the season. More, boy, was that fun! Now the Titans have a um, they have a habit of uh, I, I've seen this movie. I've seen a movie very similar to this before, where they go out opening day and just wow you, and, uh, and often on t- times on the road. And then when they get home and everybody's excited, they just completely look like a bunch of buffoons uh, the following week. Four or five times over the course of the last decade or so, it feels like that's happened. I can remember one specifically when we beat the hell out of the Chiefs opening week, and then we came home and got beat by like the Jaguars or something. It was absolutely ridiculous. So ugh, I apologize for how bad this sounds, but I'm not expecting a ton, but I am really happy with the win that's going to make the game day uh, vibe very nice up in Nashville. I will definitely be at the home opener, but it's against the Colts, and we always lose to the Colts, quite literally. In the last decade, I don't think we've defeated the Colts. A Andrew Luck uh, less, an Andrew Luck less Colts makes me feel a lot better. But uh, again, Titans fans, we don't get too excited about much because there's not a hell of a lot of reason get to uh, get too excited. So while I was at Moon River Festival, I uh, checked out of all uh, college football because why the hell would I waste my time with uh, college ball when I've got a fun festival all day? And how much fun! How excited was I! To wake up on Sunday and, and play catch up on uh, the 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 scores and highlights of the day of college football, the second week officially of the season, and not only did the Vols lose, they didn't just lose another game; they lost in ridiculously heartbreaking. How the hell can anybody but the Vols let that happen against BYU? If you if you if you care, you've already seen it um, or, and already know what it is. So I won't begin to uh, break it down. But that certainly uh, made my night. Uh, <coughs> Jesus, excuse me. Um, so the hurricane comes and goes. And just like that, you know, it's no, nobody's talking about it anymore. It's crazy when a hurricane is approaching it, because of the suspense and danger of it. It makes for great TV. Afterwards, the immediate destruction, like the Bahamas, like shocking all. Oh, my God. Like, holy sh- Can you believe what big of a mess that is? Anyway, what time's the game? All right, let's go. Like it's just, it's just like snap, and it's and it's done. People are just done uh, spending much time on it. I know it's you know still out there if you want to consume some of the coverage, but it doesn't feel like from social media standpoint that uh, anybody really cares. It's not just this one; it's all all of them. It's kind of the same uh, song and dance every single time. Okay, so I will get to um, all these coming up here on the tail end of this segment. I've got a new radio show. I'm in the works of doing uh, for Alt 98.7. I have not said this out loud. I'm not going to say it out loud anywhere else other than this podcast. I figured out why Game of Thrones people mistakenly think that the main characters were always being killed off. I made the argument that I don't think that's true. I won't spend a lot of time on it. I know I annoyed some people doing two or three Game of Thrones uh, podcasts in a row back in, was I think it was April. Maybe it was uh, March into April. But I figured out why 
people think that when it's not actually the uh, reality. Uh, Dreamcast is 20 years old. iPhone people lost their freaking minds on Tuesday. Were you watching the trends on Tuesday the 10th? Uh, I don't know what it means exactly, but uh, I'll touch on it. And then debating the future of this podcast. I'm always going to do something in the uh, recorded, digital, downloadable world I'm not entirely sure how I'm always going to do it going forward. And it's just, it's kind of a thinking out loud segment as I don't even have any more bullet points. That's it. This piece of paper, everything written on it or needed to be discussed from it has already been read. There's nothing else on it. So I'll just kind of think out loud on that one and maybe even implore somebody to uh, get a hold of me and tell me what you think. All right. So it is 9-11 today. As of uh, the day it quote unquote drops, the availability of this show begins on 9-11 and we are 18 years uh, removed from that and it is one of the most fascinating um, well tragedies and uh, uh, attacks and acts of war and atrocities and whatever word you want to put in there of uh, of, of American history to me um, I, and I, I truly mean fascinating because the overall um, the the study, the preparation, the years, the training, the funding, the um, the mission statement, the goals, all those things they weren't flawless, but they were pretty damn close. And you can really look at the um, the unraveling of the fabric. Of the United States of America's more more modern twenty, you know, late twentieth, twenty first century culture and societal what we consider norms, the unraveling of that, you can really look back to that day. It was that day. It was as unifying of a day as it was. Eventually, I believe, certainly in twenty twenty hindsight, one of the most divisive days of American culture. It just took, you know, I don't know, a decade, decade and a half to truly kind of pinpoint where it is. Now, I get that this is complete uh, conjecture on my part, talking about how I believe how the mess we're in now is a uh, maybe not quite direct, but certainly indirect uh, result of that uh, morning around 9 and 10 o'clock on September 11th, 2000. 11. I am not a conspiracy theory type in most anything in life. I, I will entertain them from time to time. Was there a lot of corruption and secretive uh, nature of how a lot of this was handled at that time to, to kind of control the information when, um, when at that time us having information quickly was still not quite a thing? Uh, yeah, sure. There was probably tons of that. There was, there was probably plenty of that. As a matter of fact, there's, it's documented in uh, many, many, many places. Um, is there are there relationships with countries that um, that aid and abed uh, terrorists and people who might have helped been been somewhere on the books funding what's happening, what what was happening with that uh, operation and that attack and their relationship with the United States somewhere on the books in there? Yeah, absolutely, probably, I'd say so. I mean, we have lots of relationship with the Middle East and all the oil we've been uh, pumping in our cars for you know, generations. So, yeah, there's probably plenty of that. But did the United States of America orchestrate an attack on itself or facilitate an attack on itself? Yeah, I. there's not any kind of parallel universe where I could ever get on board with that 
that just doesn't make any sense to me. So I won't entertain that. But it is it is sometimes interesting to see. And I guess I go back to when I said that it's fascinating to me is because I don't believe that Osama bin Laden and his masterminds thought they were going to do exactly what they did. I think it just, uh, for for their sense, was a serendipitous happenstance that the way that they uh, attacked us just crumbled us from... Um, from a, a literal standpoint and a figurative standpoint, we initially were um, we were initially completely unified. Everybody was getting along. Everybody loved each other. There was uh, there was a lot of sympathy and empathy, and it went on for a long time. But then that turned to anger, and I do blame Dick Cheney and a lot of the warmongers in that administration of George H.W., or excuse me, George W. Bush. I don't have a much of a bad word, an ill will to say, word to say about George uh, Dub at all. But his cronies and the warmongering of that decade, I absolutely do. And that's when anger starts to set in. And then resentment starts to set in. I remember when we went to war, I was all about it. All about it. Now I was 23 years old, so my, my worldview wasn't exactly shaped yet, and my opinion didn't really matter all that much in the grand scheme of things. But, I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a weird time. And then, you know, it just kept going and going. You know, the, the end of this war, and then the endless war. And we find Saddam, and blah, blah, blah. We all know the, we all know the timeline. <clears throat> and then we get to the, the housing crisis and the, uh, the recession that, Anybody who is an econ- economist who wasn't trying to sell you something, that wasn't trying to, uh, to to benefit and make money off of the scenario, anybody who was just trying to spread real information told you they knew that was coming. The math said this will be here, you know, looking at the wrist as if there's a watch any minute now, bro. And it came and it wiped out, uh, you know, again, we all know how that went. And then Obama comes in and now we start to, it, the tension builds with, racism on the you know fashionable again and uh republicans and democrats dis- disliking each other more and more and more and then he gets reelected and uh progressive liberal uh, ideas and ideals are starting to get kind of uh radical and and before you know it that that movement is out of control a little bit and now we are where we are now which feels like it's at a damn boiling point so i, I they, they all go together, as far as I'm concerned. I believe it was a Tuesday. I'm almost certain it was a Tuesday, 9-11-01. I was in the cafeteria at Chattanooga State Community College grabbing what I pro- probably what I almost always got, a grilled cheese and fries, and uh, you know lunch for breakfast. Now I'm more of a breakfast for lunch kind of guy. And they had one of those big... Uh, big screen TVs, the box ones, you know, that were real heavy. They had to like roll around and uh, something had happened and I was eating quickly and the, the news is on and people are starting to pay attention to it and I got to go to class. And um, I remember that vividly. Like I remember being over in the corner because I sat, same as now, away from everybody. And I remember walking up like, I wonder what the hell that's all about. Oh, well, I guess I'll check it out later. And I don't really remember what happened for the next hour. I know I was in a class. It seems like it was an arithmetic remedial class. If I That got be totally wrong. That part fuzzes on me there. I don't really remember leaving the class. And I guess I've, I think I've 
found out through word of mouth, which is obviously the worst way to find out anything, that we had been attacked. So I'm just thinking probably, oh, wow, this is nuts. Well, I have to go to work. Same job I have now, except then I rode a forklift and loaded beer trucks. And I got there at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. They didn't have cell phones. I didn't have one. Maybe I did. Maybe I did have a cell phone in 2001, but it, it was not a way to uh, to do much of anything other than call people, and the minutes were precious, so you only used it if you had to. Got there. We didn't have TVs in the offices. We didn't have internet except for on, like, one computer in the in the, in the building, and uh, loaded trucks all evening. But we did talk about in the office before we started, yeah, somebody, they, they, it's terrorists. They, they, they flew planes into the Trade Center. Like, wow, holy, this is, bi- this is big. Like, this is real. This is serious. All right, well, let's go load the trucks. And um, then I remember, you know, leaving, getting in the car. I didn't listen to, uh, I don't think I listened to much talk radio at that point. Again, I was 2001. I was 21 years. I, yeah, actually, actually, I did. But I don't remember what, I remember what I listened to on the way home. Got to my mom's house where I lived out in East Brainerd. Walked in, and there the news is on. And they're like, both the towers fell. This is like 9 o'clock at night. I didn't find out that the towers fell until 9 o'clock at night. So it's... uh. It's just, to me, that's even more part of the fascination of that time, the primitive nature of the turn of the century. I mean, things were starting to technological advance so fast, but it wasn't to the point where the average consumer of technology could feel it yet. That was what was building over the 80s and 90s, was technology was still moving just as fast as it always has. It's just not from a consumer product model as much as it is now. We feel technology just blazing right by us because that's what—that's all we do is live our lives through computers and our uh, phones and tablets and all that. Technology was still moving pretty fast then. You just you just couldn't quite feel it. And um, I, if I still had cable, I would spend tonight or most this week flipping through all the different channels, you know, geographic, discovery, history, because they're going to have specials all, uh, all week long on 9-11. And it doesn't matter how many times, how many years, now 18 years. Uh, I sit down and, and consume myself with this stuff because it is one of the most brilliant masterminded plans in the history of warfare. It really, really, really is. They made a plan to cripple this country, and they absolutely accomplished that far beyond their wildest dreams. All right, let's switch gears and rapid fire a little of this stuff, and then I'll give you a rundown of the Moon River Festival, my look back at it, and then put the wraps on this week's show. So the new radio show coming to Alt 98.7 here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. If you happen to be an outside the area listener, which it does appear that there are a few of you out there, it is a little alternative rock station. When I say little, I mean little. Tiny little signal, um, 98.7, alt98.com, downloadable app. It's fine station. I wouldn't go crazy out of your way to find it, but if you did, I'd appreciate it. But I'm going to start doing a local music show. Now, I've just, the, 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 the rub is I've got to make it happen. I've got to get all the songs, get all the sweepers, put it all together, and then just say, here, all right, here it is. Load it up. Let's do it. And uh, let's, you know, make a sales pitch for it. So, but I've been given the thumbs up to say, pursue it, make it happen if you want, or don't. And is it because I love the local music scene so much? No, not really. I mean, I do like the local music scene, and I've had some kind of involvement in it. For virtually 20 years, it's not a passion of mine anymore, but it used to be. And I know it well, and it's easy programming for me, and potentially profitable programming for me. 
or it might not be profitable at all, but it's easy and it will make me a couple of bucks guaranteed just because I work there. So that's coming. Hopefully, uh, it might not end up being until January. Uh, I just basically I just got to build a library, which I've already started contacting people to get music. I mean, I have plenty of it myself, but not enough to, you know, to to put together a radio show every single week. So that might take the rest of the year. We'll see. Uh, let's see. I figured out why Game of Thrones people mistakenly think that the main characters always died. All right, I'll do this quickly in case you weren't a Game of Thrones person, and especially if you're not a Lord of Rings, Lord of the Rings pe- per- person. My girlfriend wanted me to watch Lord of the Rings the other day, and I said, fine. And we watched it, and I actually thought it was pretty good. I didn't realize how old it was. It's very Game of Thrones-esque. It's a very similar setting. Uh, it's just a complete, completely different plot. Well, in the first season or the first episode or the first whatever of Game of Thrones, the leader of the show at that time, seemingly, his name is Ned, he gets beheaded just out of like, oh, my God, how did you just kill the guy you just presented as the as the main character? It'd be like killing Bart Simpson the minute you know the show starts, or Homer the minute the show starts, right? You just don't do that. Well, he wasn't, after the grand scheme of the show, he wasn't really even a main character. It just seemed like he was. And the way they, they they conducted the show, it had some shock and awe factor. And everybody kept saying, this show is crazy. They kill off all the main characters. And if you really dissect the show and you really pay attention to it, they really don't. And I think the main reason that people think this is that because I bet most people that watch Game of Thrones also watched Lord of the Rings. Because we're sitting here watching it. And one of the main characters of that movie, remember this is a movie, the other is a TV show. The One of the main characters is that same guy, Ned and I've seen the uh, for years. I've seen the uh, the meme. You can't just simply what is it? One does not just simply and then insert whatever your meme's supposed to be about. Well, that's that guy. That's that same guy, Ned. And I believe that many, many, many people thought that that was oh my god, they killed the main character because they were used to him being this main character from the movie that I think that most Game of Thrones fans share in their fandom of. As per usual on this show, uh, more conjecture for me. I might be dead ass wrong. Let's see. Uh, Dreamcast is 20 years old. I've never been a video game guy outside of just Nintendo as a child. Sega Genesis for a stretch of a couple years as a teenager. And then Dreamcast. I didn't play PlayStation almost ever. I'm a one, two, three, four, five. No, none of them except for just a throwaway time. But I really did like it, like the Dreamcast. It had some good, good games and some good playability. And I still have an old Dreamcast that has a bunch of old Nintendo games loaded up on it 20 freaking years ago. Uh, let's see a couple more here before I get out of here. The Twitter lost their freaking minds on um, Tuesday. There was so much trending that had to do with uh, Apple, uh, iPhone. I guess the new iPhone is out. And they've positioned... The camera and what would be normally on the back of most of our phones, right dead set in the middle, uh, either in a square, a rounded off square, or a rounded off rectangle. That's kind of centered. That's the way my uh, Samsung is. And I think that's pretty much how all the iPhones are, too. Well, now they're in, like, the top right corner. And there were several memes and people posting about, you You know, the Norelco razor that's got the, it's kind of like the Olympic circle, or it's like the Bonru circle with a circle up top and two under, underneath it. it it's kind of like that. I don't know which one's which. I don't know if it's all camera stuff or one's a flashlight or what. I'm not, I'm not sure. It does look a little strange because we're all used to the phones the way they've been the last decade and a half or however long. But people lost their damn mind. <laughs> 
<coughs> excuse me, they lost their freaking mind. And these were all the trends uh, in the mid-afternoon. Uh, Steve Jobs, iPhone XR, iPhone 12, iPhone, Apple TV, iOS 13, Apple event. Hashtag all those. Those were the most trending uh, topics of the afternoon. And apparently, I guess I caught wind that maybe with the purchase of the new iPhone, you get Apple TV for free for a year. And and somebody was like, oh, okay, because that's what Steve Jobs would have done. I don't know. It was dork, dork, nerd ass as it could be. And these iPhone people, I mean, I get they're probably great. I mean, my phone's great, too. My phone can do all the same stuff yours can do, and yours can do all the same stuff mine can do. They just do it a little differently. But that uh, culture is just, uh, it's since day one, since 2007, I remember the first time I saw an iPhone. It's Kennard Yamada, the uh, sales manager of, uh, of Cumulus Citadel back then. Uh, Kennard works now for EPB, and he is a, a big techie guy, and he had it. And I was with Jeff and whoever else, and we were looking at it, and it was—I mean, it was kind of impressive, but it was like eight hundred or nine thousand dollars or something. And uh, anyway, so people and their Apple obsession is very odd to me. And one more thing here, as I'll wrap this up here shortly, debating the future of the podcast. Now, I don't mean that to say that I'm going to stop doing it, but. I'm finding out some new information here that I hadn't been paying attention to all that closely. This is this is now becoming very industry standard. Um, podcast networks and podcast shows and podcast supplements to your brand already. And it is becoming majorly overly saturated. And I, I did this whole segment on it with the whole Conan thing uh, a few weeks ago, whenever it was, where he was being highlighted as some kind of champion for podcasting when he just started one the other day. And there's so many names that you can use uh, to make examples of somebody who revolutionized the industry. And I, the more I read on it and the more I talked to some people who are in those industry, uh, you know, kind of conference calls uh, across the country, not just here locally, to make any money doing a podcast the way that the industry is now creating the standard, you're talking about download uh, amounts that are are in the 20000 range to, to, to tap into this. Uh, advertising almost kind of like pool this advertising uh i don't know how to explain it exactly where you can tell you know it, once you do the advertising on your show and through your website you're paid based on how many downloads you have or how many clicks that they get or taps or redirects that they get from your show and so i could go get involved with one of these uh, these services or umbrellas or whatever you they're exactly called. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not entirely hip to all the lingo and, and I'm not that uh, into the understanding of the uh, industry. I should, but I don't. I could do that, but then I'm just running advertising on a show that's going to pay me, if anything, pennies and probably not even pennies. So why would I want to clutter my programming and potentially run people off with you know, a Lowe's ad or an Intuit ad or a QuickBooks ad or a, uh, you know, a, a mattress in a box ad or a Harry's razor ad when, yeah, maybe I could pull a couple of bucks, quite literally a couple, but then I've also disrupted what I'm trying to do. And so I don't know. I don't know how you get those kinds of that kind of listenership without doing something more unique than what I do. I My favorite thing to do amongst podcast programming and uh, creation is this. This is what I like. This is just me doing my thing. But would I have more success if I made a more niche 
Braves show, or uh, podcast, or a uh, Titans podcast, or a, uh, a Better Call Saul television show podcast. I I, I don't. I, I I think I could have more success doing that because then you can tap in to uh, a, a bigger network, which would be the whole damn country. But you know that's still a major ocean that you're floating around in with 700, I think I read, 700,000 podcasts out there amongst the metrics from iTunes. So I don't want to give up what I enjoy doing about it. I mean, I like the Braves, but, I mean, if you listen to many Braves podcasts, they're not very good. You know, there's there's just not that many that are good at all. It's just a couple of dorks talking about the, all the numbers, you know, and, and the recap of what happened yesterday. Well, I saw what happened yesterday. I already know what happened yesterday. I already know what the, the 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 home run streaks or the hitting streaks or the the scoreless inning run by the, the by the bullpen. I already know all that information. So where, how do you do something that nobody else can do? And that's where you have to have inside contacts um, to to bring you analysis and banter with somebody else to create something that people can't get anywhere else. And I don't know that I can do that because I'm not an insider on those things. So I don't know. I'm trying to think about it. The website is totally dead. Totally dead. Um, I'm busy as I've ever been and, um, but I don't want to lose, you know, I don't want to not have the weekly, of just thoughts out there because I enjoy it. And I, I'm proud of the product that I do. It's just a lot of work, man. I probably work on this podcast as much as a same amount of time that I spend working at the radio station. I, I, I bet I spend more. Probably more time on this podcast than I do at the radio station, and I'll just come out right, right out and tell you because I don't mind saying it out loud. I make around twelve thousand dollars a year at the radio station, so something that takes me less effort and is much easier. I'm in the neighborhood of ten to twelve thousand dollars a year, and something that takes more effort and is far more difficult. I'm at zero dollars a year, so uh, I'll be thinking about that as the year goes along and see if maybe I can't come up with a better plan and a better way to structure doing some of this stuff into the uh the, the new year which will be here before we know it all right i'm gonna give you some uh, thoughts on the moon river festival the second one at coolidge park this past weekend and then i'm going to wrap up the show hang tight we'll be right back more of stone on air coming up i'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo at stoneonair.com more than 10,000 people made their way to Coolidge Park for the annual Moon River Music Festival over the weekend. Our Caroline Corrigan learned the festival brought in extra foot traffic for nearby businesses this year. After a weekend filled with thousands of concert goers for the Moon River Music Festival. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. Got Nothing but rave reviews. Organizers are packing up and heading out. The festival brought in people from as far as Oregon and Indiana. Yeah, it's the best music festival I've ever been to. Which in turn brought in extra customers for local businesses like Stone Cup Cafe. We're out of eggs, avocado, caramel, mocha, almond milk, jelly. We're out of a lot of stuff. It's a good problem to have. We were doing sales that would have taken a whole day and just the morning. Crews are still working to clean up after the festival. Now here's a reminder, Coolidge Park, and this includes the splash pad and carousel, are closed today, closed again tomorrow, and reopen on Wednesday. So that means the carousel and the park is open today, because today's Wednesday. Jason Isbell, this is live. It's not from the festival, but it's from something recently. 
county jail I don't want to die in a Super 8 motel More on Isbel's show here in a minute I'll run down Saturday in its entirety Isbel is great Sometimes he's a little sleepy Again, I'll get to that here shortly Welcome back to the show Stone on Air podcast, the weekly dose for 9-11-19. The first thing I noticed, I'm going to run down again, that's it's Saturday all day. The first thing I noticed that was different than last year, more people considerably more people. Lines were longer. Security wasn't too bad at all. Meaning, I'll come back to that. Meaning, getting in the front gate, they moved that line pretty pretty well. Now, was it efficient and truly safe? I'm not sure about that. More on that in a minute. But beer lines were, were very discouraging at times. Um, I don't remember bathroom lines because I'll be honest with you, I had the VIP tower that had a clean, open bathroom every time I needed it. But notice some food lines were a little longer than I recognized last year, or I remembered last year, and it just, it felt so much more full. And last year, it felt like it was, uh, that there was so much room. And I spent the majority, a day and a half there on a, a last year's festival, full day and a full half a day, um, and and it never felt overly crowded. I never saw many lines that were too long, and I didn't have the same uh, access I had this year, so I had to wait in those regular lines that uh, just the GA uh, attendee had to wait in. And I just don't remember last year thinking, man, these lines. Uh, are irritating uh, all that much. Maybe my maybe my memory's not worth a damn. That's actually probably very likely. But So I did feel very much fuller, and then I eventually thought I saw somewhere, and I, I can't say this uh, as a matter of factly, but I'm pretty sure I saw that there was 12,000 tickets sold this year, and then I wonder if there also wasn't more comps, more uh, giveaways, more media, more vendor uh, freebie passes, because uh, they don't care about those. They'll give those, once they, especially once they sell their tickets, they don't care to give extra freebies away to extra vendors, media, uh, artists, those kinds of things, because that's just going to get somebody in the building to spend more money. So th- they're not losing money by giving away tickets. They're actually gaining money. So there might have been considerably more than 12,000 people in Coolidge Park over the weekend. So the day started off, uh, my friend Brad Steiner from Hits 96 started this new series uh, that he wants to, he hopes to get it rolling. This was the first one. Uh, Input output, it's called. It's just when artists come into Songbirds and they do a, a, a couple of songs set and then have a conversation, kind of like, um, kind of like Scenic City Roots or the Nashville Roots or Music City Roots, I guess, a little bit, kind of, sort of. Started there in the morning. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was a fun performance. Brad did well hosting it. We had some uh, foods, you know, some bagels and some donuts and stuff like that. And then we did some meet and greets and some pictures of Moon Taxi. That was a lot of fun. Then we went over to the festival, 
I worked at the uh, the Alt 98.7 booth for a couple of hours, went in and out, just, just didn't really see any music all that much. It was hot, hot, but not as hot as it's been. It was just fun to have a really dry day. You knew you didn't have to worry about any storms or any weather, lather up with uh, sunscreen and just, uh, just hit it and go. Got in there early and uh, really only saw three full acts. I saw Moon Taxi again, which, you know, Moon Taxi's fine. Um, they're a little boring, though, and it took a while for them to get to some of the songs that I wanted to hear because they're one of those bands, every song sounds the same. They're manufactured. They're not a boy band, but they're a manufactured business, music business manufactured band to create songs that sound catchy on the radio. What ends up happening in those scenarios is most of the songs sound the same. And every now and again, two, three, four of them stick out. That's what Moon Taxi's got right now. And while I still hadn't heard the songs I wanted to hear, they they play Billie Eilish, Bad Guy, the most popular song out there in the world right now, which is fine, I mean, I guess, in some settings. But I'm waiting to hear Moon Taxi, and they're not only playing Billie Eilish, then they play an extended drum solo and jam on, on Eilish's Bad Guy. I'm sitting over here saying, Moon Taxi, hey, you, would you like to play your songs? I'm here to see you, and you're playing Billie Eilish. Then, I don't know if it was the very next song, but it was very shortly after that, they played Four Non Blondes' What's Up. You know, the, hey, 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 I said, hey, what's going on? An overplayed piece of crap song from the 90s. We all liked it for a minute, or we all liked it for p- portions of our lives. It's a song I never need to hear again. And I'm like, all right, assholes. <laughs> you're playing Billie Eilish, you're playing Four Non Blondes, and I've yet to hear three or four Moon Taxi songs, and I'm getting blasted by the sun, and I'm paying $8 drinks. Let's get to it. So that's not a Moon River thing. That's just a Moon Taxi thing. Anyway, after that, went up to the uh, tower that kind of looks up uh, way behind the soundboard where they have uh, shade and a bunch of frets. It is a kind of, if you know them, you can get in kind of things. Hung out there most of the rest of the day. Watched St. Paul and the Broken Bones from up there. Um, it's another band I'm kind of over. They're fine, you know. They're okay, but they're it's it's the same thing over and over again. They're crazy talented and write great music, but I believe that they're becoming a music business industry uh, created band as well. Now they're not. I'm not calling them uh, fake or anything because they're not. They're I mean they're high high energy, high quality stuff. It's just kind of the same thing over and over again, and uh, it, but it was fine. It was it was it was fun. Never really left up there for a while. The drinks were discounted by a couple of bucks. Didn't mean it still didn't suck paying those prices, but it was a little cheaper. And we had a uh, clean Porta John that was virtually always, uh, almost always empty. And if it wasn't, it would be shortly. And then uh, then Isbel came and played the late night to close or the the night to close it out and. There's two different kinds of Jason Isbell shows you can get. You can get the sleepy kind, you know, the elephant in the room song kind, the cancer songs, the, uh, you know, the really just poignant, uh, just amazing storytelling songs, almost what I consider lullabies at times. Or you can get a rock and roll show, you know, a drive-by truckers-esque, you know, bleep show, shit-kicking kind, of, uh, kind of rock and roll show. And we got way closer to that on Saturday night. And that made me very, very, very happy because I didn't know what we're going to get. This festival is, uh, it's an Americana, Americana roots kind of festival. And he could have come out there with an acoustic and, and, and been tame all night. I never look in advance when I'm going to see a show that I, I know nothing of going in because most bands play virtually the same set every night. So I'm not going to ruin it. Uh, if I don't, uh, if I can help it. 
And I was very impressed with that. We cut out a little early just to beat the traffic. Got home. Woke up on Sunday and had this congestion and sinus attack, uh, an infection that has been uh, I've been battling ever since for the last two and a half days. <coughs> just like that. Can barely keep a, a cough or sneeze in. And I just said, enough. You know, I'm not going. Brandy Carlisle is great. I saw everybody just gushing over how great that show was uh, to close it out that Sunday night. I wanted to see Raylan Baxter. He is really fun out of Nashville. But I just didn't have the energy. Uh, and really, quite frankly, the money. <laughs> I dropped some cash on uh, on Saturday. So that was great. Um, two more things on the festival as I uh, get out of here. I'll try to wrap it up here at around 15 minutes on this segment. Uh, let's see. So two lists here. I've got blankets. I've been writing down actually this as I've been going along. As I said earlier, I didn't have anything left on this page. I wrote Isbel. I did that. More people. I did that. Saturday all day. I did that. The last two are blankets and security. I will start with security. I mentioned that getting in was pretty pretty uh, easy, at least when I was there. That could change throughout the entire day. And they do have the uh, metal detectors, and you do pull your stuff out of your you know, your pockets. You put it in a little bowl thing, and then they, you throw it through the middle, and then you go through, and then you get it all back. I, I don't believe in those a lot of the time because I've seen it Bonnaroo them trying to put them in, and then halfway through a lot of areas they're at, they just turn them off because they're not practical and they're not working. But they can still say, you know, through their insurance companies and through legalities of it. But hey, we have, you know, we have metal detectors here and there and there and there. And I think they buy cheap ones that people don't know how to effectively use them. And so I don't know, I don't know how vulnerable they are to somebody trying to get something by going in through the front of the gate. And I don't, but I don't overly worry that somebody is trying to do that. I like I, I, anybody can try to be a disgusting, awful person anytime if they want to in any setting. Clearly, just look around our world we live in that happens virtually every uh, couple of weeks or so. So it certainly is possible, but this is not a place where I really feel like that is something to be concerned about. So I don't know how efficient the security is, but what I do know is is the bridge. I'm 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 wondering how it went this year because last year there was a lot of talk about how you weren't going to be allowed to stand on the bridge. And I even got to arguments with my buddy Jonathan Sussman, who works with the city, about it on social media. It was a friendly argue, but it was still an argue. But you're, you're not going to stop. It's a pedestrian bridge, you know. You're not going to stop. I'll just walk back and forth. I mean, I'm, not, I'm allowed to walk on the bridge. And then people are going to stop on the bridge. And that's going to create a crowd up there, especially with a sold-out crowd and a, a very high-demand ticket. And the bridge looked to be full, more full this year, fuller and uh, and many more people up there. Now, I don't know what the capacity on that 110-year-old bridge is. I don't know if anybody's ever thought about that. But this was brought up by my friend Brad, who I mentioned earlier, that he was like, I don't know what kind of you know security there's on that bridge whatsoever. I mean, he kind of made a reference to the Las Vegas shooting. Like, what a perfect place. There's no security up there. What a perfect place to come set up uh, you know, anything. To, to, to create havoc and uh, overreacting to be sure, but we live in a, in a culture right now and, and uh, you know, this, the societal uh, norms of, of people killing people is, 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 is pretty, is pretty prevalent. And to not think that that's possible is irresponsible to overly think about it and scare people with it is also irresponsible. Um, but he, he had a good point and I don't know where that, um, where that security comes from other than I guess just the Chattanooga Police Department since the uh, Walnut Street Bridge is is a uh, uh, public property 
So I thought that was worth at least saying out loud. Uh, I did notice that there were several places where if you just acted like you own the place, you're going to be able to get through. And while I like that because I know how to navigate those kinds of waters and can kind of get wherever I want, I don't like that because that means anybody else who has the same kind of smarts and is a a plot to do harm could do maybe potentially the same thing. I got behind the stage uh, for about an hour uh, Saturday night because I just walked through one of the security points and, and just acted like I was supposed to be doing it, and nobody stopped me, me and my girlfriend both. Now, this isn't backstage. on This uh, logistical setup, backstage isn't really a place you want to be. It's a place for production. It's a place for people working. Um, the best you're going to see is an artist shuffling on or off the stage and then onto a cart and whisked away. This isn't like Bonnaroo backstage where all the stuff is backstage. All the stuff here is actually off-site if you wanted to get the... Uh, you know, the the uh, amenities of, of food and drink and, and uh, VIP lounges. on None of that was back there, so we didn't really have any reason to be there. I was just curious to see how far I could get. And we made it uh, to the photo pit and didn't, well, actually did. Walked out in front of the stage in the photo pit and nobody stopped us. Uh, so that I didn't like. And I heard the artist lounge where the, where the food and drink was free, where I knew people who had those bands. Said, just hey, come on, man. We'll get you some beer and food. I'm like, dude, for the last time, I don't have an artist pass. He said, dude, you don't need an artist pass. Just walk in there like you own the place, and you're good. I never got around to uh, testing that out, but that's uh, what I hear. And the final thing here is, well, hold on, one more thing. They also got rid of the media lounge. Shame on you. Shame, 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 shame on you, Moon River Festival. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for so much for showing Chattanooga what a real festival is all about. Thank you for showing the carnival, or I mean the county fair, or I mean that other festival in June, what a, a fun, proud, quality festival can be. But you got rid of the media lounge. And that's something AC Entertainment does really well. That is not a good move. You've got people from out of town that need a place to work. Now, I don't need a place to work. I want a place to go lounge around because... That's one of the perks that I get with the media access. They got rid of the media lounge. Shame on you. You shouldn't have done that. Bring it back. That's it. Won't say another word about it. And finally, I guess this was an issue last year. I didn't see it as much. I did see it this year. And then a big thread on the Moon River Facebook official page. But this culture of bring your blanket or your chair to reserve your spot in the grass for the length of the day has got to stop. Got to stop. And it's not terribly bad way up front, but it is bad still in front of the soundboard. And so the argument back and forth was, bring your chair, bring your blanket, but you have to be behind the soundboard to kind of reserve an area for you. And if you leave it for any length of time, all you've done has left basically your garbage sitting on the ground because you don't get to reserve a spot. Your general mission ticket doesn't get you any kind of access different than it does mine. If I want to stand on this plot of land, on this portion of this of this park, I can stand there just as much as you can. You putting a blanket down or leaving a chair and then leaving and thinking that somehow holds your spot is, uh, is quite ridiculous. And we all know where that comes from and why people in Chattanooga think, think that that's a thing, which I'll get to what my response was on this long thread. I won't even read the, the original uh, post because it is so long. But I did just jump in and say this, and then I will get out of here. It says, I'm not sure how many people on this thread are Chattanoogans, 
But the quote, chair or blanket saves my spot culture is so Chattanooga. Our awful heritage festival basically encourages this. It's really more of a carnival run by 60-year-old 60 60 white dudes. So not sure if the, quote, blanket saves my spot types are local or not, but I bet plenty of them are. The audacity to feel it's perfectly reasonable to reserve a plot of grass in a park at a music festival is appalling. And any festival that doesn't put a stop to it, or at least a clearly announced regulation on it, is doing a great disservice to their patrons. And my whole point is, is just make an area that's reserved for putting blankets and chairs down that you can walk away from. What it ends up doing by not addressing this and having an official uh, regulation or at least some kind of guideline on is you get the people who think it's perfectly okay. To them, it's fine. Hey, this is my area, bro. You can't come walking on my blanket. What are you doing? Well, that's not proper festival etiquette. Not real festivals, not the big leagues, not, not stuff that Chattanooga's not used to. That's not proper etiquette. For those of us that go to these festivals, we know that that's, I mean, I'm not going to go out of my way to stomp all over your damn blanket, but if I'm trying to walk up just like I was to Moon Taxi and there's blankets all over the place, sorry, I got to walk on them to get up here to meet my friends up close. That's how this works. This ain't a carnival. This isn't the county fair like a lot of people in Chattanooga are used to. So I think it would be a great disservice to uh, to the festival goers if uh, Moon River doesn't work on that. If they take care of that, that would be good because the people who have the blankets don't think they're doing anything wrong. And the people who are walking you know, around and through and kind of on the blankets uh, and towels and those kinds of things know that they're not doing anything wrong. And now you're creating, um, you're, you're creating tension within your uh within your your, your your patrons and your fan festival base and the festival goers you don't want that uh, nothing ruins a great festival quicker than fights and you know stupid stuff like that so address that and uh, get the media tent back and tighten up on security around there as far as maybe even on the outliers and that outlying areas and that might be a Chattanooga Police Department thing more than anything but clean up a couple of those things and you're gonna be back to an A plus I said last year was an A plus this year more like a B but it was uh, it was great. Hope it stays forever. All right. Well, look at that. <coughs> Jesus, I gotta get to bed. Look at that. Already, uh, damn near 50 minutes. Even when I try to go short, I uh, I barely uh, do. Maybe by about five minutes. All right. So uh, there should be a show next week. I don't see why not at this point. But we'll wait and see going forward. At Stone on Air on all social media is how you can get a hold of me. Y'all have a great weekend. I'm off to opening day in Nashville. Titans Colts on Sunday and uh, we'll just see what kind of stupid shit happens over the next six days or so and put together a show for next week. I love y'all. See you later. Bye.